Just give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Today, we're focusing on... Uh a universal and unique subject matter. We're talking about prayer, but prayer from the place of creative expression, um, the place of uh, clarification, meditation, mindfulness, awareness, less so about the religious experience, although many perceive prayer and experience prayer through religion, my next guest has explored prayer from many different paradigms. And I'm really excited to have her on the show because I'm familiar with her work and she is doing something really interesting. So Celeste Yakubani is a minister of walking prayer ordained by the Center for Sacred Studies. Her work focuses on guiding and supporting people through transitions by creating a space of awareness, presence, and inspiration, which integrates body, mind, spirit, and emotions. She maintains a thriving practice in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in which she facilitates healing and wholeness through massage therapy and a whole host of other modalities, which she'll explain when we bring her on the line. She has a new book out that's entitled, How Do You Pray? And what I love about this is she's interviewed a cadre of luminaries from all walks of life that share their experience of what it means to pray to them. Welcome, Celeste. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Lisa. It's great to be here. Oh, it's fabulous to have you here. Let's talk about prayer as personal expression. Because that's really what we're talking about. We're not talking about a, a, a handbook or a hymnal book or something that tells us exactly how to do it. More that it's a personal expression. It's a creative outlet. Yes, absolutely. And I find so many people in the book. We have 129 contributors. They've shared their own personal ways and expressions of prayer, whether it be a more traditional form, as you mentioned, a religious form or a spiritual practice, as well as people creating art, painting, drawing, dance, singing, their own beautiful 
um, expressions of spirit and how it relates to their lives and what they put out into the world. So prayer could take any shape and form and expression. And let me just add uh, a few of the names because it's quite a collection of amazing people. For example, you have uh, Greg Braden, Brother David Stendhal Reist. You have Jayoti, who I actually have interviewed for a documentary film. You have Dr. Masasaru Emoto, who is the man that um, worked with water, and you can explain that in a bit if you will, um, and on and on and on. Hank Wesselman, who is an artist, um, Marianne Williamson. I mean, really quite a diverse collection of people that come together, and their common thread is this expression of self and spirituality and creativity through prayer. Yes, I'd like to read a little prayer by Gina Rose Halpern. She says, art is prayer made visible. Music is prayer made audible. Dance is prayer embodied. But the greatest art we practice is the art of compassion, which is prayer in action and science and service. I'm sorry, which is prayer in action and service. So mm-hmm. as we, we read these different um, expressions, definitions, sharings about prayer, we're also getting a sense of prayer as service, prayer hitting the streets, coming out into life, how we live, walk, and embody our prayers. And there are so many luminaries, as you mentioned, people in spiritual paths, in shamanic, in scientific, and they all have a beautiful relationship to prayer and uh, very personal, and it's wonderful to read and see how they overlap and how there are so many common threads. Fred Allen Wolf is a quantum physicist, and he shared, I feel blessed. Although it may appear strange, I don't really take time to pray. I feel a special contact with God left unspoken, and I feel the presence of God in my everyday life. Mm. Well, that is so similar to how our ancestors, the indigenous people, prayed as well, where they weren't praying as a separate part of their life or praying one day or in one form, but they looked at all of life as a prayer and spirit expressed to them guidance through everything that they did. So it's interesting how now we are learning so much and it relates to ancient traditions and wisdom traditions. How beautifully said, because it makes the practice of 
connection with God, and it doesn't matter if you necessarily believe in God, you know, capital G-O-D, but the, mm-hmm. this connection can be more of an action. You know, it can be more of a verb than a thing, than a noun or a person. Right, exactly. And some people say, too, that God is a verb, and we are really exploring and sharing this idea of God. What is God? Is there a God? And are we godly beings? Is there such a separation between humanity and divinity? And I'm seeing in these uh, beautiful contributions in the book that there is a sense of a separation. We as individual beings that have egos and can separate ourselves, but also we have that, that same essence. God is part of us. The divine is part of us. So it's really lovely to explore both of these dimensions. Uh, what about the connection between healing and prayer? There was a, a wonderful article written probably 15 years ago, and I still have it in my files. I think it was Time or Newsweek had done a huge profile on the power of prayer in healing with some very interesting results. I mean, that were scientifically documented results. I would love for you to share, I'm sure, um, the myriad of, of information that's been made available since then. Yes. Well, one common thread I notice in the book is, is thy will be done or praying in a way that we set an intention for health and healing for a friend or for the best possible outcome for a situation. And we Hold that intention at the same time surrendering to thy will be done or to that unknown realm of beyond our control. We may know, not know what the best outcome for someone is, although we do everything we can for them and for their health and highest good. And people praying together have a greater impact often in these studies I think that you're talking about than one person praying alone. When we set our intention, we we are much stronger. Uh, we're going to go to break in a moment, but before we do, I want to clarify that the study that I'm referring to was done with um, bypass, open heart uh, bypass patients. And they studied patients who were prayed for remotely, um, as well as by family members. So in other words, by remotely, I just want to clarify that it may just be, let's say, in a prayer circle or in a, in a, in a religious organization, they would say pray for so-and-so who is undergoing surgery versus those who were not prayed for. And they found that the uh, rate of complications and the speed at which the patient healed was significantly higher in those that had been prayed for versus those that had been not prayed for. And I just found that to be amazing. Yes, I find that amazing as well. And in some of these studies, it didn't matter if the prayed for person actually had a belief system uh, of their own. 
good point. I forgot to add that. And yes, that's true, that the, 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 the patient did not need to necessarily be a believer which really comes down to energy. You know, it's where we focus our energy, where we focus our intentions that you speak of is where we find ourselves, which is both miraculous and not particularly surprising, right? (laughs) Right. Yes. And we are learning in this quantum physics that energy follows intention. Indeed. We are going to go to break and I want to give the contact information for you and the book. The website is www.howdoyoupray.com and on Twitter, Celeste can be found at How Do You Pray and on Facebook, conveniently matched, How Do You Pray. <laughs> You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio and my guest this morning right now is Celeste Yacaboni. We'll be right back. Here come those tunes. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness, because happiness is a choice, and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download this on iTunes as a podcast. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, and we're talking about the power of prayer. And perhaps not in the traditional sense, more of prayer as a means of expression, of creativity, of setting intentions, of um, being contemplative. And my guest, Celeste Iacoboni, has written a book or edited a book called How Do You Pray? And Celeste, we're talking about prayer as something that is, is, a, is a verb, is an action. And I, I, I want to um, give our listeners some guidance about how to construct a prayer. But first, I want to talk about the prayer field. What does that mean? 
in collecting these prayers from these 129 contributors, as well as meeting with people and sharing prayers. We had, my husband and I hosted many groups where people came and shared their prayers and traditions. We realized that we are all part of a prayer field, an energetic flow of love for ourselves, for each other, and for the earth. I realized that there are always people praying All over the world, people are praying in every tradition, language, and culture. And as they pray, and as we pray, our prayers merge in this energetic field, in this template that actually does touch the earth and affect the physical. So now... Prayers in all of these expressions are forming this beautiful energetic web of support and inspiration for our whole world. So I think we're at a very exciting time now to focus our attention on prayer in all of its forms in any way. And this is very personal because as you Um, brought up earlier, prayer can be a form of art or any personal expression. And in this field, we have many ways to interact. And it's a great, great field of support. Mm. Indeed it is. I can recall a few years back, I was part of a women's group. And it was uh, led by a rabbi who was from New Mexico. Ironically, her name is uh, Rabbi Judith Halevi, and she asked us to write a prayer. And all the women in the group looked at each other like, who, us, write a prayer? We are just a bunch of gals sitting around, you know, having wine during this women's group meeting. And you want us to write a prayer? And she said, yes, yes, I want you to write the prayer. So she gave us the, the instruction and the prompt, and everybody went about their business writing the prayer. And what came out of everybody's mind and heart was so exquisite that it got my attention. And when I learned of your work, I'm like, all right, boom, there it is, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, in reading all of these contributions, it's very inspiring. And we can pray in whatever way seems natural to us. In writing a prayer, often people start, Dear God. That is something so um, so much a part of a lot of our own foundations in spirituality. We either knew of a um, of a religious uh, form that we called God, or more of a generic form that we called God. But in, in starting to um, to get familiar with prayer, they often start this way. And now I think we have so many beautiful names for this God or spirit. We have God, Goddess, Mother, Father, God, Ultimate Reality, and many more beautiful names. So we find something that feels comfortable or spirit of love, spirit of life, whatever moves us, and we start 
to speak. We start, if we're writing a prayer with words, we start often a conversation. You know, thank you is a huge common denominator for us all. We have so many blessings. So thank you is often a beautiful way in to this relationship and conversation. And often it doesn't even it take the form of, of words. We maybe sit and listen. And sometimes that's called meditation or contemplation. We actually are in this stillness and merge with oneness, with nature, with God, with whatever we call this, or the unknown, merging with the unknown. So these prayers can be very conversational, like, I need help. I need some help here, you know, and uh, I'm looking for inspiration. Is there anyone out there? Oh, this reminds me of the one of the books that Anne Lamott wrote recently. It was, um, was it Help, Wow, and Thanks? That was the yes. name of the book. Yes. <laughs> the, you know, the three prayers you need to know. You know? Yeah, that's and, great. And thanks is uh, probably one of the most common. And we do, you're right, we have so much to be thankful for, so many blessings. How did you get around the names of, of God? or the divine in this cross-cultural melange of people that you put together and, and created this beautiful book. You know, how do you approach somebody who says, oh, I spoke with so-and-so and they contributed and they may be at the diametrically opposed side of the spectrum of their spirituality? I felt so blessed that everyone was very willing, generous, and available. That when I presented that invitation to share how they prayed, there was never an issue with who or what they prayed to. They just started to pray. And as Joe T. mentioned in her contribution, she said, we don't pray for outcome. We just pray. And I love that we just pray. And that's what everyone was on board to do in this book. Yeah, beautiful. Did you, um, you, you mentioned having these gatherings where people came, you and your husband. How did you uh, capture all of these contributions? Were they in one-on-one interviews? Were they captured in the form of a, of a gathering? How, what were the mechanics of it? When I invited people to our home and someone would present, there would always be a um, an Indian kirtan where we chanted beautiful um, songs of praise, often in many names and many different traditions. We had chut ceremonies, a Tibetan ceremony to sever the attachment to the ego. We had Sufi whirling and, and dance meditations. And as we were doing that, at one point I realized that a book of contributions by our spiritual teachers, by religious leaders, by our activists would be so inspirational right now at this time of tremendous transition on the earth and within ourselves that I sent out email invitations. 
I sent, started sending out invitations to all of the teachers, authors, and um, people that I knew. I sent them an email, and I got responses back, sometimes right away. Sometimes they took longer. But people said, oh, thank you for asking. And this is a great question. And it is time now that we share our prayers. So they were very willing and happy to share through the email or phone conversations. We don't have much time left, but I would love for you to teach us how to construct, create, paint a prayer. Okay, well, let's take a deep breath and go inside and feel the stillness and the deep peace inside and see what comes up it might be an image it might be a word it could even be a smell or a taste or a feeling and take that and embrace it and see what comes from it. And there may be words, there isn't one way here. But you'll get something, some kind of a connection. And take that and amplify it. If it's a feeling, if there are words, whatever it is, and make it your own. And be in that prayer. Be in that meditation, that conversation whatever it is, and be with that and spend time there and let it grow and see what happens. Beautiful. Thank you. The book is How Do You Pray? Inspiring Responses from Religious Leaders, Spiritual Guides, Healers, Activists, and Other Lovers of Humanity. I particularly like that last bit, Celeste. (laughs) The other other lovers of humanity. And to learn more, you can visit www.howdoyoupray.com. On Twitter, the handle is How Do You Pray? And on Facebook, How Do You Pray? Thank you, my dear guest, Celeste Iacoboni. Thank you so much for being with me and taking some time to share your heart and your passion with our listeners. Thank you, Lisa. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Cayman has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about creativity and, and creative genius and how we ignite that fire in our belly, in our hearts, and in our minds to go out and create in the world. And some people might think that creativity is simply for artists because we always associate the, the creative spirit with a painter, with a, with a photographer, with a dancer, with a singer. But there are many ways, as you've heard in the first half of the show, that we can ignite our creativity. And there is another way we can do this if we are unfamiliar with the creative process through art um, to really inspire and fire up our intuition. Elaine Clayton is an internationally known artist, author, intuitive reader, and Reiki master. Elaine is the author and illustrator of books on intuitive intelligence and several books for children, including books by Pulitzer Prize-winning author Jane Smiley and Gregory Maguire, the author of Wicked. Her new book, Making Marks, Discovering the Art of Intuitive Drawing is due out with Beyond Words, Simon & Schuster. Um, it's actually out. It's not due out. It's out. Her first book on intuition, Illuminara Intuitive Journal with Cards, was published in 2012. I want to talk more about Elaine's background, but I want to get her on the air. Good morning, Elaine. Let's talk about Making Marks. Good morning. Yeah, I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I stumbled upon your work, and they say that there are no accidents in mm -hmm. life. And uh, I immediately we reached out to you because your work is absolutely stunning. Oh, that's just, you know, such an honor for me. And I agree with you. You know, nothing is really an accident. I, I live for these uh, synchronicities, you know. And I think um, getting into the habit of making marks and being creative like that in a, in a flow, in a way that isn't self-critical, actually makes you be more aware of those synchronicities, you know, when Indeed. they happen. Indeed. I mean, it, it, and I love the way you are working with in, in intuitive stream drawing, which is the concept that you introduce in your book, Making Marks. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, you know, I, I felt like everyone is born making a mark. It, we, we're just natural, innately, you know, mark makers. We're creative. We, we never have to really relearn it because we already know it. It's just reminding ourselves that, that, you know, we are actual creators with every gesture we make, every decision we make. And it felt to me that drawing was kind of taken away from us in that we stopped being allowed to um, express ourselves really freely, probably because in school, you know, mark making is used to teach us other very worthy things. But um, it just seemed so essential to remind everyone and myself, too, you know, how powerful it is to be expressive through making marks. 
And this really talks to our intuitive intelligence. And this is a, a, a this is a great buzzword because we all possess it. And most mm -hmm. of us might say, okay, we're, we can't draw, we can't sing. Like I, I mentioned earlier, we're not creative. But in fact, we are alive with creativity every single day. We mm -hmm. sometimes just don't listen. True. And we weren't always encouraged. You know, there's a lot about, you know, learning to be a part of a society, good things, you know, conforming to a degree so that there's, it's a fair, like, let's say, classroom, you know, or family. You can't just only do only what you want to do all the time. But, but I've, it's better if our own individual um, thoughts, feelings, um, creative expression is encouraged, you know. It's never too late for that. But I do think that usually people say, um, you know, I like to draw, but I, I'm, not, I'm no good at it. Or they may say, I'm intrigued by intuition, but I don't have any of it. You know, you say, I like that you, you kind of put them together because I'm certainly putting them together in my work, and I, and I don't see them as separate. I don't see, I, in fact, all in one realm, I think, exists the imagination, creativity, and empathy, and intuition. I think they're all in one same space, kind of in our minds and hearts. And that does tap into the spiritual realms. And when we yes. talk about the spiritual realm, we're not really speaking of r religion or... Not necessarily, or you know. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes religion um, has a lot of mysticism in it that um, that really does tap into that spiritual knowing that, you know, even the, the most ancient tribes cultivated. Um, but, um, no, it's more about um, that divine connection that we all have as individuals separate from whether or not someone else validates it through, let's say, something formalized like a religion, you know. Um, and so if you have to go to the outside all the time to to feel that you are connected to God, what about all this feeling and thinking going on on the inside that really you don't need any validation for? You have it already. You're never separate from it, I don't think. It's just a matter of recognizing that spiritual beauty that is in us and, and right here in our proximity all the time. We're never separate. I would agree. You have a Master's of Fine Art degree in visual essay, which I have never heard of that um, specialty before. Well, yeah, isn't that great? I, I think what happened, and I, I, I love getting a, you know, having a chance to talk about visual essay. When I was in undergraduate art school, um, painting and drawing, I remember the, the painting teachers would stand in front of your art, you know, during a critique, and, and if they said something, which is what they always said to me, it was an insult because they didn't like the idea, but it was if your narrative, in other words, if your art tends to be narrative as in conveys or suggests a story of some kind. And uh, I couldn't help it. I just, that's how I do art, you know. And so by the time I found the School of Visual Arts after teaching for, for several years, um, this master's program started by Marshall Ehrsman, who's an amazing, very famous artist, um, editorial and otherwise. He, he was acknowledging artists like Robert Weaver, um, 
another that I think is amazing, Tracy Sugarman, who used art to convey a story, whether it be um, using drawing as uh, visual journalism or uh, editorial, you know, as in uh, images that convey the story, you know, so fictional or actual journalism. And so that fit really well with me because I liked the idea of um, creating images that kind of got you, not necessarily with a beginning, middle, and end, like the shape of a story, but visually talk to you in a way that got you from one place to another, if that makes sense. It does. It is the art of story through um, visual imagery. And that's what I hear you saying. And that's Yeah, what, yeah know, that's a great to way mind. to put it. And it's not that you, let's say you stand in front of a Rosco and feel just tremendous emotion and thoughts come, memories come, but it doesn't necessarily mean you can't have that kind of unfolding of a story when you're standing in front of a piece of art that's abstract, like a Rothko. But this is actually taking art and on purpose being conscious and aware of trying to make that happen. And I, I would imagine, or I, not imagine, it's been my own experience, because I actually have taken an intuitive painting class many years ago, and I am not a very good visual artist, but I do Well, anyway. I don't like that you should have just said that, because I bet you're wonderful. Well, what I was going to say is I was very impressed with what came out because I just uh -huh. went into into flow um, and into this idea of expressing what was going on inside through color and through the paint and the texture and how it felt when I was doing it. And then what ended up on the canvas was quite lovely. So yeah, I, see? It, see, it was it, there yeah. the whole time. It was there the whole time. You know, I am not a Mark Rothko. No, but I'm, I'm me. And, you know, there's a message in there. There's a message in the story, which I think is what is so beautiful about your work, how it taps into our creative nature, shakes up uh, perhaps limitations that we've set for ourselves and allows us to uh, let those authentic parts shine. Well, that is a very beautiful compliment. I really, I hope I, I deserve it. Um, I will say that before I do art, especially anything I post on Illuminara.com or any art that I do on behalf of another person, like a spirit painting, you know, commission, the, it's really entering into prayer for me in that way that I, it's like a trance. It's, it's the, I wouldn't let it leave the studio unless I felt that it, that I did my best to allow that to come through me, that which might in some way help someone transcend either thought or feeling. Um, probably all artists are, are intentionally wanting that to happen. What else, you know, what else is art for? It's to get a point across. I feel like it's sad in our society. We're very visual, but usually only to manipulate each other to buy things. You know, and so we, we are, we know we're visual, but we don't always use it to, to help each other become stronger and fortified spiritually or intellectually even. It's, it's usually to kind of manipulate us, you know, as consumers. So, um, I think it's a sacred practice and, and should be used in a way that, I don't know, is more than just for capitalizing. I would agree. We are going to go to a break, um, and I want to give our listeners your contact information. To learn more about Elaine Clayton, you can go to www.illuminara.com, as uh, Elaine has mentioned. On Facebook, she is at Elaine 
dot Clayton, C-L-A-Y-T-O-N. And when we return from the break, I want to talk more about the different ways in which you work because you do several different things. You teach workshops, you do these intuitive paintings where you're creating on behalf of another or sort of channeling energy in um um, spirit, if you will, that you might mm-hmm. be getting from serving another. You do Reiki, and there's a lot going on, and it does all flow and work together. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Here come those tunes, and we will return. We know that life is tough, and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Do you like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about creativity, intuition, unleashing the potential that resides within each and every one of us. And my guest, Elaine Clayton, is doing this through art and through books that she has written. Her latest book is Making Marks, Discovering the Art of Intuitive Drawing, which makes the connection between mark making, you know, making an impression or a line somewhere in the world, on a, in the physical sense, and self-determination. So, Elaine, let's talk a little bit about the different um, services and dimensions of your work, because you do a lot. Yeah, well, I'd love to talk about them. You know, it's interesting the way we're, we're all so multifaceted and have so many different ways of expressing ourselves or focusing and it's true of me. I mean, thinking about being an art student, it wasn't really a very practical degree, you know, in the, in the 1980s, the undergraduate, um, you know, in the very materialistic 1980s. And I just wanted to be spiritual and paint. And I, and I loved 
children, so I was always teaching at summer camps or at the museum where I worked during college, and then I was hired to teach, in, and I taught in two different independent schools, which had a big influence um, on me. So right away I was using, be able to use art and expressive kind of creative thinking in the classroom with a, another teaching partner um, to use, you know, creativity in, let's say, math and writing, or to use it for um, empathy, you know, to talk about feelings and as a group so that the group could be more cohesive. And um, so with that, I was doing children's books. I started taking my portfolio to New York back in the day when you could still do that. Um, and, uh, you know, so for a while it was teaching and children's books that, were, that I did, you know, primarily. And I still thought of that as a healing art, both of them, really. And, uh, but anyway, as I developed and became a parent and started to explore in other ways, I always was making my own art separate from children's books and got interested in healing in other ways and became a Reiki master. And then I guess it's divine timing. Sometimes everything just comes together. You know, you might have wanted it to come together years before, but finally it did. And so the studio um, that I started about seven years ago, the focus was art for healing, healing arts, Reiki, teaching, workshops, etc. And so um, people can commission me to do um, a painting on their behalf. I don't know most of the people that I do that for, but I agree that I will meditate for them and ask for whatever would best benefit them to come through. And so far, I've kept the commission price for that really low so that almost anyone could, uh, you know, could have one of these made. It's not, I don't charge what I do, you know, maybe for regular art, you know, for, you know, books or et cetera. Uh, and Reiki, you know, healing, I, I practice that in my studio in Connecticut and in New York City at a wellness center, as well as the intuitive uh, readings. And I see them all as one. I really do. I, I, I just think we're using intuition all the time. Intuition is what helps us get healed. Creativity is what helps us know what our questions are so that we can find the answers. And all of that, I believe, can happen through um you know, this intuitive stream drawing process for anyone, no matter what they do with their day. Um, but I hope I described my day pretty well for you. If not, just let me know. <laughs> I'll try to re-clarify. <laughs> no, it, 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 it's becoming clear. I have a question about, you know, teaching an in, in, intuitive stream drawing workshop, for example, which you also do. Um, mm -hmm. How do you get a group of people, or maybe it's just one person, um, to sort of settle down within themselves and allow the process. Yeah, well, if it's with a group, there is a way that I do it first. By um, It's a, a method that artists do called blind contour drawing, but I've always called it gesture drawing because you're, you're not looking at what you draw while you make a gesture um, on paper that resembles the gesture of someone posing. So let someone say someone is looking like they're really surprised. You try to draw the contour of their arms and legs, you know, without looking at your paper, just looking at them and focusing on how they would feel in that pose. 
Um, that cracks the ice really well, if, and a group, the group has to support the person at the easel, um, helping people at the easel go fast because when they slow down, they start instantly criticizing themselves and looking at the marks that they're making, and it, it just doesn't work. So that's, that's one of the ways we start out with a group here um, with learning how to draw intuitively. The other with one-on-one -on -one or smaller group would be just like it's laid out in the book. Um, there's a method called Frozen Pond that is so easy. Anyone can do it right now. Just grab a piece of scrap paper and a pencil or a pen and close your eyes and start drawing. And what happens is, and there are a few steps before we actually do the frozen pond, just to be aware and open to sensing what it feels like when you make a mark. You know, what kind of pressure do you apply? Is it soft pressure or is it hard? Is it a, a dull pencil or is it sharp? You know, do you make jagged lines or little loops? Um, paying attention to what happens when the marks are being made is what begins to open up the creative flow uh, and the playfulness because all of this has to happen like a child at play. It might be serious work and serious topics might arrive, you know, from pre-conscious into your conscious mind and it, it is serious usually because it's life, you know, matters, but it's out of playfulness that we arrive at this, this creative um, activity and this way of healing. So, you know, the, the book and the workshops that I do are centered around getting you to be able to just do the most simple thing, the thing you did immediately when you were born, pretty much, definitely when you were a toddler, making marks all over things without anything blocking you. And we can do it. It's, it's really not hard to dismantle the voice that wants to block us. All, we, all you have to do is use your non-dominant hand and close your eyes. Ah, you've, you've given another part of the equation. So we are to use the, the other hand, the one that we don't normally write with. Yeah, I, I thought that was the better way because when I was experimenting with it, when I first tried it actually before doing a reading, uh, an intuitive reading, I felt compelled to draw as a part of this reading, and I didn't know what I was doing, but I just felt I had to go with it. And I instinctively put the pencil in my left hand, though I'm a right-handed artist. And I think I knew that I wouldn't block myself. I have very little control or very little sense of control in my left hand compared to my right. So I thought of this person who I didn't know at all, and I just closed my eyes and started to draw with my left hand on her behalf. I knew it was a woman. I knew the first name. And um, I began the reading by describing to her what was in the drawing, which I thought, you know, this is crazy because it was something really particular, you know. But I told her, and, it, and the image that I saw in the drawing and that which I told her about turned out to be a real thing that happened to her. And I thought, there's something going on. You know, um, helping each other isn't hard. There's no secret involved. It's just a matter of paying attention. And so using the, our innate ability to make marks is just one tool to open our awareness. And so, yeah, the, the opposite hand from the one you can control gets you out of needing to control. You have to surrender to it because you don't have very much control in that opposite hand usually. 
I think some people are ambidextrous, right? Some are, not many, and some of us uh, were switched. You know, it used to be very fashionable back in the day. I was one of them. I know. Were you switched? Yes. That's just not right. My brother, what, they tried to do that to him. Uh, That's so sad. Well, just think of all the power in that left hand you've got. Oh, wow, it's, one of my it's like more your magic wand. Hand. It is. It's when I open when I open things that require strength. The left hand is the stronger hand, even though I'm a right-handed writer. It's, yeah, it's the hand that wants to be used. You know, it's such a symbolic thing that exact thing that you just mentioned of how who we are intuitively, innately is in, in many ways taken away from us by a dom- you know the dominant society's uh, values and a crazy value that couldn't be existing in the 20th century about left hands you know it's so medieval it's like you know i don't know it's just very sad to think of it but it's happening every day because somewhere someone wants to stop someone from being you know empowered so it's up to us to empower ourselves in spite of that our, our producer just shot me a note here saying that um, he's both left and right-handed. He's one of the lucky ones. And he's well, a I would love to do an experiment with him then, a, a, an intuitive exploration, and, and have him try the intuitive stream drawing with eyes closed in both hands and see if he can, you know, see if anything happens. Casey, are you up for that? We'll, we'll, we're going to get him offline. <laughs> we're going to make him your guinea pig. That's my All gift right. to you. I could probably yeah. pull it off. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> That's very, very funny. You you dig that kind of stuff. I know that, Casey. Oh, he's not answering because we're, we're, oh, we're still yeah. on the air. Okay, he'll have to cut that out. I just made more work for him. I'm sorry. Okay, we are about out of time, Elaine. So I'm going to do a little wrap-up to close, and then you and I are going to get together offline because we have to. Okay, that sounds okay. terrific. All right. Okay, well, thank you so Elaine, much. Oh, Elaine, you have just been a delight. Thank you for joining us on the air today. I want to give out your contact information once again. To learn more about the beautiful work of Elaine Clayton, please visit www.illuminara.com, where she shares art and inspiration based on themes of spirituality, dreams, and intuition. Um, There you'll find information on her intuitive readings, the artwork that she does, her books, her um, Reiki practice, um, and the all-in-all overall arching theme of unleashing your creativity. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. Happiness cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and today's guests, Elaine Clayton and Michael Gelb, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And thanks again, as always, to our producers who make us shine each and every week. Have a great one. And be sure to share this podcast generously. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. 
To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Each week, Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart, whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the Toginet Radio Network.